everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to the second half of our second year anniversary special, where we rank all of the recruits coming in for the K-State football season. The first half was the considerably longer version of this, where we covered all 23 of the high school commits from Avery Johnson all the way to Jack Fabris and everything in between. So now we're going to rank the people that you are much more likely to see instantly, and that is the transfers into K-State. There are nine currently listed, and I just straight up, we're going to use the same system, uh, except for it's not consensus because we basically ranked them the exact same way, except for a difference in one position. So, and it's still going to be the instant impact and then potential system uh, from last episode. It's pretty easy. You'll catch on pretty quick if you haven't already listened to the previous episode, which we recommend because we always have a blast doing these episodes. So be sure to listen to both halves of it. So let's just dive straight in to number one on our transfer commit list, and that is cornerback from Iowa Western Community College, Will Lee, the Wildcats. He is a 6'2", 185 corner who had an 8.8689 grade on 24-7 and an on-3 four-star. To me, he has the instant impact of an A guy with the A-plus potential guy. And it's not just because he held that offer from Bama. Uh, I would have had this grade even if he didn't get that offer. That offer just reinforced what I believed about him. And that is that Will Lee is a do-everything corner in a system that adores do-everything corners. I don't think that the step down between him and Julius Brents will be too extreme because Julius Brents was a very, very special corner with insane size. Will Lee is a very, very special corner who still has decent prototypical size, but has much better lateral athleticism. And Will Lee is an absurdly physical corner who bumps people off of their routes, wants to get in people's faces, and has that CB1 mentality. I don't even need to watch film to know that last one because bro tweets it like he's a quarterback one already. And his film just helps back it up because he is that eraser as a corner instantly. And he has room to grow. That's the best part. But I instantly project him as being CB1 as soon as he steps on campus. And he's going to be, I think he's going to be CB1 for the entirety of the season, barring injury. The second quarterback spot is disputed, whether it be Jacob Parrish, um, Jordan Wright, even uh, Keenan Garber. But I think Will Lee, the Wildcat, is an insanely good pickup for K State. Yeah, really, really like Will Lee. Of course, the Bama offer and beating Bama on uh, recruiting battle is nice. Uh, it's really great. But of course, what matters is the film. And yeah, he was awesome in his film. He was a lockdown, shutdown, corner, sticky and man. And he's just good. There, There's not a lot to really delve into in terms of critiques. Because at the end of the day, he's just a good corner. And if you ask him to do something, he's probably going to do it and do it effectively. I, I don't have much to add on to what you said, but 
I'm really looking forward to seeing him uh, in a case of uniform. Yeah, I. That's going to be to just that corner room is ridiculous. <laughs> There's so much talent in there right now, both uh, older and younger, um, and it's wide open now with uh, Echo and Brands both uh, um, headed to the NFL. Yeah. So welcome, Will Lee. You've been here for a minute, but number two on our list is wide receiver transfer from the University of Iowa, Keegan Johnson, the 6'1", 194 receiver, who is a four-star rated transfer, according to On3. Iowa is instant impact as an A and his potential as an A. The runner-up, I believe, to Big Ten Freshman of the Year to CJ Stroud, I believe. So he was a really, really good receiver when he was playing as a freshman. Unfortunately, last year, his his season was sort of derailed by injury. I don't think he I think he played just enough games to not be able to redshirt, which is which sucks. But, you know, he was still a really effective piece of their offense. And to me, he is a shorter Malik Knowles because he's still that gadget alpha receiver guy that while he is a little shorter than you want in your ideal number one alpha receiver, he has all the skills to just pick up right where Malik left off. To me, stylistically, and this is no offense intended to Malik Knowles, Keegan Johnson is Malik Knowles, but with a motor that never, ever stops. Because Keegan Johnson never takes a rep off. Like he, If you give him a minute, he will get open, and he will make some pretty good catches, plus the plus ability to be a deep threat. You didn't see that as much in Iowa because A, it's Iowa, and B, Spencer Petrus was their quarterback. But I will keep throwing strays at Spencer Petrus's way. He deserves it. But, <laughs> you know, Keegan Johnson is another case of someone who's transferring in and he's instantly going to be the number one guy at his position. And I think that he's earned that spot because otherwise it would have been RJ Garcia who equally would have earned it. But Keegan Johnson, to me, steps on campus as an awesome receiver who's probably going to have a 800-plus yard year at minimum, barring injury. Yeah, I love Keegan Johnson. He displayed a lot as a freshman uh, at Iowa. And uh, it was great that he, as a true freshman, stepped onto the field and actually produced as a receiver in the Iowa offense, which... Frankly, I think I blame more on their OC than Petrus, although Petrus is definitely complicit. But um, Keegan Johnson, he steps in. He's the immediate obvious number one um, at receiver for K-State. I really, really like what he brings to the table. Colin Klein uh, has gone out and raved about his uh, uh, route running ability. He's been that that is one of the strongest attributes of his game. He's got good speed as well, but he's just very shifty and agile. And yeah, he is kind of a similar archetype to Malik. He's going to be a good X receiver for K-State. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. And it was a big recruiting win in the portal as well, because Notre Dame was after him too. Um, but K-State was able to lock him down. So really, really happy we were able to get Keegan Johnson, because if not, the receiver room would have been kind of deep trouble. Uh, without Keegan. Yeah. And uh, for reference, his career stats at Iowa, he had uh, 20 receptions in two years, though he only played one game in the second year at Iowa. 
has a total of 363 receiving yards and two touchdowns. You may be thinking to yourself, oh, that doesn't sound that great. And then you watch the games <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. No, he plays in an Iowa offense. Now I understand. <laughs> if he played anywhere else, he'd be doing considerably better with his stats. <laughs> but that's Keegan Johnson. And now number three, we're staying on the offensive side of the ball with the transfer from a power five university. And that is running back Treshawn Ward from Florida State. And his dad, I believe, was a Florida State legend, which is why he ended up walking on there, but ended up deciding to transfer out. And he's a 5'10", 192 back, four-star transfer. Same rating as Keegan Johnson, A, instant guy, A, potential. Uh, We'll just start with his stats this time. (laughs) Um, He's been consistently pretty productive at Florida State. Uh, His last two years, he had two consecutive 500-plus yard seasons, 515 in 2021, 628 in 2022, four touchdowns, a total of 11 touchdowns in his career. And he is, again, another example of a do-it-all back. He can do just about anything that he truly wants on a football field. He's a really good contact runner. He's a really good shifty runner. And like, if he can make people miss, he has really, really good long speed. Like the, the biggest question mark I think is just his vision as a running back, but even that's not bad. Like he's just an overall really good back. The one, two punch of Treshawn Ward and DJ Giddens disgusting. Shouldn't be allowed to happen because Treshawn Ward is a good all rounder. And guess what? DJ Giddens gets much. He deserves a lot more credit for being an all-rounder because people look at his size and they stereotype him. They're like, oh, he's a power back. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But what what do you think about Treshawn Ward? And I, I guess, okay, let's retroactively. No, no, no. We did that otherwise. But what do you think about sort of the recruitment of Treshawn Ward, I suppose to say, because we, we sort of talked about that with Will Lee and Keegan Johnson. Yeah, um, I think we are spoiled, honestly, to get him, because I think some people have been worried about the running back room. I was never super worried, given that Giddens was there, um, although there were depth concerns. This alleviated really any concerns I had at the running back room. Treshawn Ward after walking on at Florida State, despite having scholarship offers elsewhere, um, just made it a choice that was best for his career. So he went on to go make a business decision and ended up with uh, K-State. And I'm really hopeful that he's able to have a career year. He's had back-to-back two quality seasons. Um, 2021, he had 81 carries. Last year, he had 95. Um, but he was not utilized much as a receiver last year as opposed to in 2021 where he had 21 catches and 185 yards. I think that we can find a use for him to replace some of the lost uh, receiving production from Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield. Not all of it, but I think he can do some of it. I imagine because of his talent, we're going to see a lot of split shotgun uh, or two back sets uh, with Giddens and Treshawn Ward. Um, And for good reason, because he's again, a guy you can't really keep off the field. His, um, agility is really good. His top speed isn't incredible, but he reaches his top speed really fast. And he's not always going to be the like 80 yard touchdown guy, but he 
makes one guy miss. He's an easy 15 to 20 yard guy, fairly consistently. And you can tell that over his career, he's averaged over six yards carry each of the last two seasons at Florida State. I really like him a lot. Uh, I I think he can be a difference maker for the offense. I, I look forward to seeing how Colin Klein decides to utilize him. I imagine, uh, in my mind, probably a lot of Texas routes out of the backfield uh, with some clearing and probably some other creative ways to utilize him in the passing game. Um, but I like him a lot. He's going to do really great things for K-State. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting they chose to transfer out of Florida State for a, a number of reasons. Firstly, it's his his dad went there. He chose to walk on despite having several Power 5 offers from uh, out of high school. And then he decides to transfer out because he's not getting the, the bell cow snaps that they probably warranted, honestly, from a really, really talented Florida State squad. But the fact that he chose K-State, I think it's very telling because I think people are looking at Colin Klein's offense and they're like, wait a minute, this is wait, this is entertaining. This is cool. This is good. This is new. And I think Treshawn Ward is a direct product of that. And now we move on to number four, and that would be Daniel Cobbs, the defensive back out of Tyler Junior College. Again, if that sounds familiar, it's because it should. Uh, Kobe Savage, Gavin Forche, and oh. I'm blanking. Uh, um, I am as well. It's something with a J. Justice Clemens. Justice Clemens. Uh, yeah, he had a surgery. Ema! Anyway, uh, <laughs> Daniel Cobbs, the 5'11", 190 player from Tyler Junior College, doesn't have a ranking on on three. Uh, but the fact that he's number four and he committed maybe two or three weeks ago tells you everything you need to know. Instantly, he's an A-minus player with the potential, honestly, of an A-plus guy. And this is this one's very similar to if you could just go back and listen to the episode to get it like a more complete scouting report. But his player comp for me is just Kobe Savage again, because he's he's plays the exact same way as a really solid cover corner who plays with his head on fire, not just his hair, his entire head and has plus communication ability with all of the defensive backfield around him. There's a non-zero chance that Daniel Cobbs is the second safety starting right alongside Kobe Savage. Cause I think Kobe Savage coming off of injury, I still think he's probably the best safety on the roster, but Daniel Cobbs has the potential to be right there and keep pace with him. And his commitment came out of absolutely nowhere, <laughs> but it was, he's such an entertaining watch. Like if they're of all of the players on this list, my favorite person to watch by far is Daniel Cobbs because he just has that mentality about him where he's going to make a play every single time he is on the defensive field. You're like, that's the guy. That's the problem child right there. If you're the offensive coordinator. And now you have two of those in Kobe Savage and Daniel Cobbs. Could you imagine being like a Juco quarterback and you had to go against that? <laughs> I'd rather not. They're not. But yeah. What, what do you think about Daniel Cobbs out of Tyler? Um, well, similar to what you said, he did just kind of appear like he, we didn't even know that he was visiting. Like he didn't say like, Oh, I'm visiting K state. 
he doesn't even have a recruiting profile. Nope. At least he didn't um, at the time that he committed. Um, the super athletic defensive back, very similar to Kobe Savage. Really like him. I was not expecting really anything from his film because uh, I was like, I've never heard of this guy before. And when watched it, I was like, man, he's good. Why does he have to be good? <laughs> and he's probably going to contribute immediately. Um, and last year was his only year at Juco. So he's got four years available to play three. So not only is he really good, he's young, which is massive. So I'm looking forward to what we um, can get out of Daniel Cobbs. Um, I think that he's going to either start or be a heavy rotation guy at the beginning of next year. Yeah. People were worried about the depth of the safety room as well. I I think that that's a little bit overstated because I, I don't think there's a true, okay. There's one room where I think that there's a little bit of question mark and maybe a bit of weakness, but that's for the depth chart episode, but the defensive backfield is not one of them, (laughs) but the number five guy in our rankings here is going to be the Sam. We're projecting him as a Sam linebacker from Iowa Central Community College. And that is Rex Van Wy, the six, excuse me, 6'4, 225 pound guy, an on three, three star. M is instant impact B, potential A. And remember what I said last year about Gavin Forche? Probably not. It's been a year and now he's not on the team anymore. But Rex Van Wy is the prototype of what a Sam linebacker is, especially in a three, three, five. He has the athleticism to cover out in space while he doesn't need to do it on like a true insane level. He is someone who gets in the hole where slants are supposed to go on RPOs and that's not available anymore. He's not going to let that happen. And yet he's still dangerous enough as an athlete, specifically with his speed to the outside to be sent on plenty of blitzes to the strong side of the formation, not only as a force player in the running game, but as a legitimate pass rushing threat if he just utilizes his speed rushing ability. Rex Van Wy is the prototype Sam linebacker for this system. So much so that while if he is not a Sam linebacker, I will be horribly, horribly confused for this system. And this is the same guy, granted, this is the same person, me, who has been iffy on a couple of positional alignments that have worked out perfectly fine. But yeah, it's not an exaggeration to say Rex Van Wy could be the ultimate Sam linebacker for a 3-3-5 scheme that K-State is currently running. Yeah, Um, I love Rex Van Wy as well. And something that you said was one of my main things with him. And it was about him just filling the gap on RPOs Uh, that that's going to be one of his best roles on the team because he's tall and he has really long arms. He's very lanky. Um, That doesn't mean he's weak. It just means that he's got long arms and he can fill the passing lane. Uh, He's an RPO eraser as a uh, um, Sam backer. And he's just going to step in. And just say, no, you, you can't throw this RBO. And Not it's very permitted. annoying that you tried. Yeah. <laughs> you are annoying me. Yeah. But then he's still a good rusher as well. Cause he's got the, he's got the length for it. 
that's that's another thing that he brings to the table with that is he can um use his arms effectively and use his hands effectively and try and get to the quarterback or at least uh, create some pressure to throw the QB off. But Van Wyne, another kind of under the radar addition at this point, I think. Uh, but as to at this point, a pretty jam packed uh, linebacker room. Yep. I agree that that linebacker room is kind of nasty with just how much depth there is. Like I, and the fact that Forche transferred out, I think is, it's not an indictment on Forche. I think he would have played eventually, but it's just there's so many mouths to feed in that linebacking room. Yeah. But we're about halfway. It's, you know, you could cut it in half, but whatever. Uh, we're roughly a little over halfway through the transfer recruiting rankings. So we'll take a really brief break here for a word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the episode. And Connor, since I've sort of taken the, the top half here, you can introduce the back half six through nine and give your initial thoughts on all of them because I feel like it's been a, a lot of these guys are pretty self-explanatory to where it's kind of hard to explain. So I'll let you take the primary talking points and introductions from, from here on out, my friend. Yeah. Um, Marky Seigel. Um, is the next guy on my list. Um, although yeah. Ace and I, this is our only difference here is between six and seven. We have them flipped. Um, and I'll explain why I flipped mine because I think otherwise I'd have the same as Ace, but I'll explain my reasoning and I'll do that later. But Marky Seigel transferred from North Dakota State. Uh, Chris Kleiman loves him as North Dakota State transfers. Um, I can't blame him. But... No, I can't blame him either. It's almost like um, a coach there or something. Yeah, that, that might be a may have something to do with it. But uh Marky Seigel, um he's um either come in and be a safety. Um most likely he could be a corner, but I think he's gonna be a safety. Probably Jack. And, yeah, I, I think that's his most likely location. But he was mostly a corner in North Dakota State, if I recall. And uh he was notably really uh really sound in man. Um, he was a really solid man coverage guy. And that's something that Joe Klanderman has said he loves with his safeties is he wants safeties that can roll in man coverage. That's like one of the top things he's looking for is a guy that's versatile and can use that man coverage. So if they're ever short elsewhere, they can move them around and shuffle them pretty well. But um, I really like Marquis Seigel classic North Dakota state ad where he's just kind of like an unheralded guy. Um, but the difference again, um, this year seems that we got a lot more transfers that had additional years of eligibility as opposed to grad transfers. We've had a lot of grad transfers in the past, but Seigel is another um, defensive back with multiple years left. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table. I think he could push for a starting spot, but again, we're probably going to see a lot of him anyways because we know how much um, Joe Klanerman loves to rotate, especially in that defensive backfield. So I bet we see Seigel a lot, but I like his man instincts. I'm excited to see how he fits into probably the Jack safety position, but he's really, really good. Ace, what do you think about him? I, I think he's better Josh Hayes. I mean, <laughs> he's a has B pluses for both instant impact and potential. Um, I, I think he's just like, and I know that's technically a really, really lazy comp, 
because Josh Hayes was also a corner at North Dakota State before transferring to K-State and becoming a jack safety who was pretty solid and got himself drafted. Uh, Josh Hayes did have a stop at UVA before, before grad transferring to K-State. But it it's a lazy comp because it works. <laughs> like, Marquis Seigel is similar to Josh Hayes in terms of role and personnel, and that's probably because they're recruited from the same system. That being said, I think you Marquis Seigel is a much better true slot corner, whereas Josh Hayes was a much better true third safety. And I say that because I trust Marquis Seigel a bit more in coverage um, because I think he just has better feet for it. I think he has better clicks uh, in his transitions while he's looking and searching it, for the receiver in man coverage, I think he gets his head around a little bit better. And I think he may be marginally faster as well. But that does come with the trade-off where I don't think he's going to be as good in run defense. But Josh Hayes was admittedly really, really good at that because of how much of just a missile he was. Like His best trait by far was coming downhill, so much so that that sort of came in the detriment of his coverage. So if you undo that, you have Marquis Seigel to me. And I think that's a really, really good ad for a team that was sort of questioning where that third safety was going to be coming from, whether it was going to be have to be, have to be a young guy like VJ Payne or uh, like VJ Payne just stepping up. But I, I think that Marquis Seigel, while it does kill my dream of Darrell Jones moving to safety, rest in peace, it's uh, it's still a really good ad. Like, I think he's going to contribute and basically not miss a step from where Josh Hayes was. Yeah, great stuff on uh, Marcus Seigel. Uh, I think he's, again, probably being a media contributor. I like the Josh Hayes comp as well. They're very similar in terms of stature. I think they're both six foot 190. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah that that could be end up really being a good comp but here's where we got flipped around um i had seigel at six you had terry kirksey at six i had terry kirksey at seven and the only reason that i chose to do that is because he went from immediate starter to he's now behind daniel green and that's bad news for terry kirksey the juco transfer out of hutch's Hutchinson CC um, because I really liked his film. He was very aggressive, great play, great at play identification, really good at sifting through the trash uh, and run defense and solid pass coverage instincts for a middle linebacker, honestly. And I really like Terry Kirksey. I was like, honestly, like him and Jake Clifton, maybe we can fill that mic spot pretty well. But then Daniel Green decides to come back and I'm like, that's great. What happens to Kirksey, though? <laughs> and I think we're still going to see plenty of Terry Kirksey this year because last year, even when we didn't have the depth that we have right now in the linebacker room, we were rotating at linebacker anyways. Yeah. So I imagine that we're going to see Terry Kirksey plenty, especially early in the year. I I love him. I love his frame. Uh, he's a big guy. He's a prototypical Mike, um, but pretty athletic. So I'm really hopeful um, that we find some good uses for him in the field. And then he probably takes over the starter job next year, unless somebody flies up through the ranks, cough, cough, Toby but we'll see. <laughs> and uh, 
Um, I like him a lot. And it was a big recruiting win as well because he nearly went to Indiana, um, but ended up here instead. So uh, good job to the staff. Solid recruiting win. All around a pretty impressive offseason for Steve Stannard. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I also agree with you. I, I project Terry Kirksey as a true Mike linebacker, mostly because of his his ability to play in the run game. And there's not much that I could say that you didn't already say. Uh, he knows when to take out blocks. He knows when to sort of backdoor, try to work around the block. And he's really just a tackle for loss or like a short gain machine. That's just what he does in, in run defense. You're not going to catch him out of position particularly often. His biggest question mark is, you know, coverage ability, specifically in man coverage, but that's not something we ask our linebackers to do a lot. And we're more likely to ask them to blitz, which I think Terry Kirksey has the frame and skill set to do very well. I, I, I hesitate to say he'll instantly be good at it or like great at it. He'll be solid, but that's probably the that in his coverage are the two areas of most development for him. I have him as a B instant guy and an A potential guy. And, you know, I just think Terry Kirksey, he's, he walked into a situation where admittedly now he is the only true Mike linebacker, like on the roster. I think Clifton and Toby Osinsanmi can both play Mike linebacker. I, I think their natural position, well, no, Jake Clifton's natural position is at Mike linebacker and Toby's should be at will, but it seems like he's going to be playing Sam. Uh, I have opinions, but uh, they're not important right now. I, <laughs> but I really like the Kirksey ad. I like all of the transfer ads, honestly. And But I will say that the Kirksey was kind of the, the person I felt the worst for because he does not like being at six is really low for him and it it only gets it doesn't get better with the two guys that are left because they don't deserve being particularly low either i mean frankly it's good. a shame it could have happened to anybody it really is a shame that could have happened to anybody <laughs> but nevertheless we we have to march on and as hard as the high school rankings were to place guys lower, transfers, it was harder because last year there were a few guys that we could look at and say, this guy is probably not going to do much. Like JV on card. He proved us right very quicker than we right thought he like would. Day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's not really an obvious dud in this class or like a guy that you look at and you're like, what? Why do we take him? Everybody, you can see the logic behind uh, the decision to take them. So that thing says to number eight, and that's Javon Banks. And in terms of true talent, he could definitely be higher up on this list, but he have to put him somewhere. And I feel so bad for putting him at eight because he's not a bad player. I actually think he's going to be an integral part of our defensive line rotation this year. I think he takes the D hence role of spelling our main nose tackle and having like one game where he just explodes and be, and be really good. But he's also just a really interesting football player because he started his career at Mississippi State as an outside linebacker. He was like a four-star outside linebacker. And then he added weight and moved to defensive end. And then he moved to like more of a three-tech. And then he moved to a nose. And he's just gradually gotten larger over his college career. He's and growing. Yeah, he... 
just won't stop growing. But that's uh, like, like every Uso size. I'd take it. <laughs> I'd be fine by me. But I really like Javon Banks. We don't have a ton of him at nose, I guess, since that wasn't where he started at primarily at Mississippi State. But there is a bit. And he had a pretty solid year last year. He had somewhere in the mid-teens and tackles and a couple sacks, I believe. But he he should step in and be the number two, maybe the tied for number two nose tackle with Damian Elilio, but we shall see. I like Banks quite a bit and I know that at one point his dad on Twitter said that he's going to do his tailgate and bring like some like crawfish I think. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. Some some Mississippi crawfish. At least I but, think he did. I, I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth because then he might well, just now he has to, to anyways. Yeah, now he has to. Yeah, he's hearing this. You don't have to do that if you weren't planning to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for me, Javon Banks is sort of a wild card because he is really new to the nose tackle position, and uh, a lot of people will look at the whole six two thing and they're like, "Well, that's pretty short for a nose tackle," and it is. It's admittedly not the tallest for for a nose tackle, like a true nose. But I think where he makes up for it is, you know, his athleticism at the nose tackle position. Like he's plenty strong for it. He's not the strongest. He's not Uso because not many people are. He's also not Timmy Horn. He's not Eli Huggins. But those were guys that were natural nose tackles through and through. Javon Manks is still very much learning the position. But I still think he has the athleticism and football IQ to make it work. And I, you brought up the D hence comp. That's awesome because I really believe that Javon Banks kind of can fill that D hence role where it's, you know, spell slash pass rush nose tackle. I think that's Javon Banks instantly. I think that Uso gets downs one and two, and then in third down situations, we bring in Javon Banks. We sell, we tell him to play a shade technique, and they say, "Okay, go get, go get him." And I think that's Javon Banks to a T. And I think he has the if well, definitely if he keeps putting on weight, he has the potential to be the number one nose tackle uh, next year or the year after that. But yeah, I enjoy the Javon Banks ad. I just, I think he, as a nose tackle, he has a little bit of room to grow uh, because he's so new to the position. But at the same time, the fact that he's a former edge and he's just continually worked inside, his floor again is, it's it's Jalen Pickle. It's Jalen Pickle again as a floor. And Jalen Pickle was a good player. So I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. And again, yet another guy that has multiple years of eligibility. Um. Just out of curiosity, because I don't remember off the top of my head, are there any grad transfers in this class only have one year? Because the only one that could be is Treshawn Ward. Yeah, but Treshawn listed, Ward's a sophomore. Which is he's weird. listed as a sophomore. Yeah, but we'll mean he's a junior this year, which is weird though, because he's played in four different seasons. Maybe he only played four games in one and redshirted another, like medical or something. Yeah, but could be. That could be it. Kind of getting off topic there, but just think it's very impressive that we have a lot of talented guys and they have multiple years available, which again brings us to our last player on this list. And that's another defensive back, although he's really a cornerback. Uh, that's Tyler Nalome. And he comes from a familiar place 
because we're going to be playing them uh, in the first week of the season. He comes from Southeast Missouri. So he's going to be going up against his old compatriots in the uh, first game of the year and his first game as a Wildcat. So he's a 6'3", 193-pound corner. But what is there to say about him, Ace? Not a lot because there's not a lot to there's not a lot of film out on him and the little film that there is out there it he again is an example of a really hyper physical corner at 63193 he has the he has a little bit better than prototypical size and his arms look really strong but there's this is the only grade that i have straight up question marks cuz i don't know i don't really other than he's a really, really, really physical corner, there's I don't know much of his game outside of that. You know, he was a pretty solid contributor at Southeast Missouri State coming out of Atlanta uh, for, at high school. But, you know, it the fact that I'm bringing that he's the only person I brought up his high school should be telling. And this has nothing to do with Tyler Nalome as, as a player, because to be honest, I have a weirdly good feeling about him but I can't back it up. So it's like me with like uh Camden BB then. <laughs> yeah, basically. But you, even then you had a more tangible reason because Camden BB is a BB. I, I, I guess that's fair, but I mean, Tyler Nolum's also a six, three corner that has really high upside. So you've got just as much tangible reason there, I think. And also I'm sorry that I put the, uh, onus of introducing him on you but it was because i literally did not know what to say same as you (laughs) yeah i like he is a really physical guy like he probably competes for most physical corner on the team and that's saying a lot given that will lee and jordan wright are still both on this team (laughs) yeah i really like tyler alone as well to me this feels like we got will lee we liked him and we said, what if we had another? And we just went and got Tyler Nalome, at least in terms of frame. They're similar. We can't really say too much on his play style. We just don't know. Um, but regardless, exciting to get a, a few tall, prototypical size cornerback transfers uh, in one offseason, um, as well as a few other DBs. But that takes us to the end of the transfer class. Got through all nine guys. Uh, the ace, what are your final thoughts on these uh, transfers? If you have a guy you want to highlight or if you just have some overall thoughts in the class. My, my overall thoughts is in a transfer class of nine players, we got a total of one, two, three, eh, four, five. Five out of nine of these players, I say, are more likely to start than they are to not. That's Will Lee, Keegan Johnson, Treshawn Ward, Daniel Cobbs, and Marcus Seidel. I think all five of those guys step in and are instantly starters on this team. And alongside that, a lot of them have multiple years of eligibility. Will Lee is a JUCO transfer with, I believe, two years of eligibility left. Keegan Johnson probably got a medical redshirt last year, so he probably has two or three years of eligibility. Treshawn Ward magically has two or three years of eligibility. Daniel Cobbs has four years to play three. Marcus Seigel, he probably, he has two years if I'm remembering correctly. So not only, 
not only did we get five starters, we got five starters who are not just going to start for one year. They get another year to develop in the system. So this is not a transfer class that's just, oh, it's a one and done sort of thing. Like, oh, we're not going to talk about any of these guys next year because they're not going to be on the roster. And the only contacts with everybody mentioned is if they're 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 going to be used as a selling point for come to K-State and get drafted. All of those things can be true, but they can do it over multiple years and contribute to the team over multiple years, assuming none of them leave early, which, you know, it could happen in a few of the cases here. But I think that's huge. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about that fact with this transfer class is that it's not just a one. It's not a one year thing. This is something that can extend into the future big time for K-State. Yeah. And I could have sworn that Treshawn Ward was a grad transfer, but yeah, he's listed as a sophomore on ESPN and he played in 2020. So he's got a COVID year. So that means in my mind that he did the four game redshirt in 2019. He medical redshirted in 2020 and then played in 21 and 22. So that means that he still got two regular years left plus a COVID here. So in theory, we could have Treshawn Ward for three years, which I thought we had him for one. <laughs> Instead, we might have him for three. It's shocking to not take a single grad transfer here. We still might. Like, we've, we're making these episodes right now. We're making this episode. We could still theoretically take another transfer. And when that happens, we, I guess we can kind of update our list. But man, uh, this is a really good top to bottom class. Oh, and for reference, the K-State page does list Trayshawn Ward as a senior, but he, I think so as a COVID year. So he technically could play too, but he might go to the NFL. Very well might. Yeah. Do you have any, any overarching thoughts? I love this class. I feel so bad that I had to put guys like Terry Kirksey, Javon Banks, and uh, Tyler Nalone uh, so low on the list. Um, somebody has to take those spots. Um, but last year, they probably are higher, I think, than that. And uh, I, I think all of these guys can contribute this year. And you have those guys that are five likely starters, but you'll put a guy like Rex Van Y. He's going to get a, his own share of snaps. Terry Kirksey's he's going to play. Javon Banks, he's going to be probably splitting snaps like 40% Uso. And then he gets like 30. maybe another 40. And then Ilaleo gets 20 maybe. Yeah. And we might see a bit of Nalome as well. It's going to be tough to wade through that corner room because the that thing is deeper than the Mariana Trench. But yeah, the tar pit that is that corner room. Yeah. But I I like all these guys. And I, I I'm pretty enthusiastic about this transfer class and the high school class as well, which I know we covered in the previous episode. But there's a there's a lot to be excited for with newcomers. There's not a lot of star power returning, but there's a lot of new guys that could really come onto the scene in a big way. Yeah. And one final thing is I want to note the the recruiting victories on this on this list just to consolidate them. Will Lee was a recruiting victory head-to-head against Alabama. Keegan Johnson was a recruiting victory head-to-head against Notre Dame. 
Treshawn Ward transferred out of a really, really good FSU squad. Rex Van Wy, I don't remember who, but he was getting Power 5 interest. Terry Kirksey was getting interest from Indiana as well as other schools. And Mississippi State, uh, I mean, Javon Banks was a transfer from Mississippi State. Like, all of these guys, with rare exception, were getting legitimate Power 5 interest coming out of their respective schools, whether it be a JUCO or a transfer. And K-State manages to pull off some of the biggest recruiting victories in the transfer portal that they've had. And that's amazing. And I think it really helps verify what what Kleiman has built at K-State. Yep. Very exciting stuff going on right now with that transfer class. But 90 days, 89 days on day of release to kick. We're getting close. Or the Twins still have a quarter of a year to go. But yeah. Oh boy. I, I I am so excited for football this year. Dude, I am too. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Baltasor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, wait a few weeks to to buy some merch because we uh we just wait things, it'll things be worth are happening it. things are Perhaps. happening they it'll might not be, be. they may not be but um we may have a few a few things to uh that you that people may enjoy yes but for now thank you all for listening to this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast where come rain shine or anything in between we're here to deliver to you the kansas state sporting news that you so love stay safe alley cats